0: Hey, we continue our series and actually close it out uh, about this project we're on as a church and walking through the book of Nehemiah, uh, a series we've titled It's Not About the Wall, and today we're going to see that in, in spades, that it's not about the wall, it's about what we see in today's passage before we jump into that we're going to be in nehemiah 8 today if you want to prepare yourself and get ready for that but i want to just give you a couple tips or heads up going into the summer a few things that you have in your worship guide if you pull that out right now uh, three things i want to draw your attention to one is your ongoing prayer guide that's on the back side of your notes so these are your notes for today's message and we've been preparing these prayer guides a five-day prayer guide for our church these will continue through the summer So we're on a journey of prayer that started with the beginning of this series and will take us through the summer, and that's going to be a key component of it. So you can get that. If you miss on Sunday, you can go onto the Grace app, and this is also listed on there. It's under the term devotional. You'll find that, and so you can find the the prayer guide, even if you're not here during the week, during the summer as people are in and out. Keep that in mind, and we really covet your prayers throughout this season the second thing you're going to see in your worship guide is uh, a guide that looks like this as preparing a place for others this is a paper or print version of a, an initial summary of really everything we've been talking about through this series So we've been talking about it verbally. Now you can see it all in print. We want you to uh, keep this on your refrigerator, keep it in a bathroom mirror, in your Bible, in a place where you can continue to pray and be informed about what we are going to be about as a church and how you can be involved in that. So keep that around, and that will give you a lot of information as well as our leadership's commitment to you on the back as we go through that journey. That's the second thing. Third thing is uh, for the last several weeks, we've had these books we've purchased for every single family in our church. If you haven't been here and didn't get one, they're in the chairs in front of you. You can reach down and grab one of these. It's our gift to you. Through the summer, part of your prayer and devotional time will be short readings out of this book. I just wanna challenge you This is probably one of the best books there. He has a larger version that he originally wrote, and this was a condensed version to make it more manageable. Probably the most thorough book written on what the Bible says about uh, managing our possessions and what God uh, desires for us in them. So from debt to everything you could possibly imagine about your finances, and you don't need to necessarily read it in order. We're going to give you readings as you go through it, but there may be topics or sections that are very pertinent to you, very well handled there. Uh, We want to encourage you to keep growing. As we've talked about, one of the issues in our community that we feel is uh, an area we can address is just the greed and corruption that exists here. This is the answer to that. That greed and corruption is just as alive in the church as it is out there. And until God deals with how we relate to our stuff, He's not going to be able to use us to relate and minister to our city in that area. So this is a way to be free from that and finally find contentment and joy in what God's given us rather than the the damage that we often bring. Those are three things related to that. Next thing is real quick. In the weeks to come, the next three weeks, uh, we'll have a a series, a three-week series entitled Eternal Rewards. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to be focusing on this concept of eternal rewards that the Bible speaks uh, abundantly of. And it's really going to be a good balance to the first five chapters of Romans that we went through in our spring series. Romans is all about salvation, and it's a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. We're saved 100% by his work and nothing that we do. The balance to that is that that doesn't mean that God saved us to, to do absolutely nothing. In fact, the Bible, the same verse that says we're saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift of God, goes on to say God created us or or saved us for good works that he prepared in advance so we're saved by grace but we're saved for the purpose of the good works that he now wants to do in us and eternal rewards is going to help us see how when we are faithfully stewarding our lives God prepares for us rewards in heaven that are abundantly beyond what we could imagine in fact when we squander our lives here As Christians, we will be in heaven, but we will live very differently and experience heaven differently than the person who chooses to live his life in regard and response to what Jesus has done. So we're going to show that and and talk about that over the next several weeks. Uh, And I think it will be a series that will be interesting for you. So next few weeks, that's what we're going to be about. Today we see the ultimate pinnacle of, I think, Nehemiah's story. And I think it's going to be the ultimate pinnacle of our story as well. And the point of this passage is, is the wall is built, and they're going to experience their first worship service as a community in this passage we're going to look at, it's a narrative. Maybe one of the most phenomenal passages in all the Bible, certainly one of the most exciting passages, and, and it's going to paint a picture for us of what we're truly about. We're not about a building. Just as Nehemiah was not about a wall, we do not wanna get focused on the building. Just as Nehemiah, I believe, saw this day coming. And so here's my, my basic point for you today is that healthy worship is the ultimate product of our church's fulfilled vision. When our vision is fulfilled, it's not about building buildings, it's not about planting churches, it's not about reaching people. Those are things we're gonna do. But we could do all of those things and fail to worship God, and they'd all be for nothing. See, the ultimate purpose for which every single one of us exists is to worship God. In fact, John Piper says it like this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions or outreach or evangelism, the reason those things exist is because worship does not. Think about that for a minute. The reason missions exist, people go to places where people haven't heard about God or Jesus. The reason evangelism exists, we share the gospel with people that aren't yet worshiping God. The reason all those exist is because worship doesn't. Let me me explain that a little bit to you. God's whole purpose in the universe is to get everything in the universe to bring attention and honor and glory to himself for everything to worship him. The universe will operate properly when that takes place. Now that sounds a little strange when you first hear that because if we were to say that, well, what if we wanted to get everything to worship us? You know, we'd say that's kind of selfish, self-centered, and it is because we're broken, because we're not all good, because we're not all powerful. So us broken, not all powerful, finite creatures, Our purpose is to point people to God. Our purpose is to bring honor and glory to God because he is perfect and he is all-powerful. He can accomplish anything he wants. Let me ask you this question. If everything in creation, if all of our purposes is to point to God and to worship him, then what's God's purpose? Who should God point people to if he is absolutely perfect and he is all-powerful? There's only one answer, himself. The reason we share God with other people is because God will continue to work his plan in this earth, and this earth will continue as it is until every single person in space and in time whom he has ordained to worship him has come to that point. And until that last person that he has ordained to do so does, then we will continue in this life. So that's our ultimate purpose as a church. In everything that we do, in all these projects we do, our purpose and work is worship. And what I want you to see, what I think is so neat about this passage today, is you're gonna see four incredibly important principles about what healthy worship looks like. uh, One of the questions I get asked more than maybe any other from people here, and just had one last week as a couple was being transferred and moving somewhere else, they say, Pastor Chad, can you help us find a church? What should we look for in a church? Man, you should have your highlighter out marking everything that we look at today in this passage. This may be one of the best passages in all of Scripture to help you get a picture of what a healthy church should look like. It's all right here. This is healthy worship. So how do we pursue churches of healthy worship? This is what we're all about in our vision. This is what we're all about in our mission statement. This is what we're all about even in building this building and hopefully planting another church here backwards in this campus. And if you have your Bible with you, open it up to Nehemiah chapter 9. That's what we're going to look at today. Nehemiah, how do we pursue churches of healthy worship? Here's my plan. This this passage I've, I've looked at it a number of times, and as I was even preparing it today, I, I'm making this statement. I don't know if it'll, when it'll happen, that's God's idea, but I've already made my plans for it. This passage will be my first message in our new campus. Because we're just going to scratch the surface. There's an awesome principle behind this, in the festivals that they're celebrating that is so rich, so deep. We don't have time to go into it today with the things I want to talk about. But I've already thought that's exactly what we want to hear. That's exactly how we want to celebrate our first Sunday in that new campus. So if God in his kindness grants that to us and we walk through that process, you're going to get Nehemiah 8 again. I hope it's sooner rather than later. I'm just saying that. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 8, let's pray and we'll jump in and look at these four points of healthy worship. Father, thank you so much that we have the incredible joy of opening up a book like no other book on this planet that's been put together through thousands of years and many different generations and people. And yet, Every book, every word, every paragraph, every sentence, every letter, and as Jesus said, every jot and tittle points to you. So Lord, no matter what else happens here today, my prayer is that these words, these truths, would inflame our hearts for you. That we would recognize that right now, in this moment, the most important thing we could do is just worship and honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four principles you'll see in here of how do we pursue churches of healthy worship. Our our service can be a little different today, so just let me help you with that. We're going to weave some music into the message, so we'll have a couple points. We're gonna sing a song that kind of connects with where we're at in the message. And then the Lord's Supper is gonna be celebrated as just a regular part of the message as well. As I kind of summarize and conclude uh, the message, we'll go right into the Lord's Supper. So we'll guide you all through that, but just be ready to get up, get down, get up. We call this a burpee service. You're gonna be up, you're gonna be down, you're gonna be up, you're down. You might actually get in shape by the end of it as well and be ready for lunch, so. Nehemiah chapter eight. Follow along with me. The message will be up on the screen as well. And all the people gathered. Now picture this. Huge project. They've been working for months on this thing. It's been a big vision for Nehemiah. All the opposition. All the challenges you go through in a project like this. So picture yourself there. This moment. They're all gathering together. It says all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses so that the, Lord, uh, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So that would have been their Bible at that time. That was what was complete to them at that point. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Now, that's a beautiful passage, right? You guys think my messages are long. He went from early morning to midday. All right, I don't want to hear any more complaints. I'm going to post this passage on the front of the new church doors as you come in. He said, Ezra did this. I'm only going to talk to you for about an hour, all right? So we're good. And all the ears of the people were attended to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah, on his right hand. And Padaiah, Mishael, Melkajah, Hashum, Hashbaradan, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, his meaning on the platform above them, and as he opened it all, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamim, Akub, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kilatah, Azariah, Jehoshaphat, Hanan, and Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, or the meaning, you could say, so that the people understood the reading. Here's my first point for you, and here's the first point of how do we pursue churches of healthy worship. Healthy worship takes place when God's word is explained. Healthy worship takes place when God's word explained. Is explained. You see, God designed the Bible to be understood. It's not some secret book that only a handful of people can truly understand. And it doesn't mean he doesn't give us teachers or people that he gives to help explain it, but he means this book to be read, to be understood, and put into practice by his people. God designed it that way. He gave us the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, and he gives us teachers to help explain it to us. You should never find yourself in a church where you are not being clearly explained the word of God, where you can't walk away and go, wow, that made total sense. I completely saw that right there in that passage because it's not some secret that only a few people have. The word was meant to be explained and understood clearly. You see, we can add services as a church. We can plant churches. We can build buildings. We can start all kinds of ministries. But if we aren't explaining what God's word means to God's people, then none of that stuff means anything. None of that will accomplish any of what God desires his people to be about in worship. If you aren't in a church that clearly explains the Bible, then you aren't in a church that accurately worships God. Don't ever compromise on that issue. I want to give you a a little something to ponder and think about. After each point, we're going to have just a simple reflection, an inward one, and an outward one. So on this next slide, it'll be uh, something for you just to ponder. Here's an inward one. Are you developing the habit of reading your Bible and pursuing a smaller group setting where you can grow in your understanding of God's word? Just want you to answer that and, and ponder that yourself. This is the pinnacle. Everything else we see, everything else that the church is about, everything else that a Christian is about springs from the truths in God's word. If we skip this part, we will miss every other part. I just wanted to ask you that. Is this becoming a growing habit in your life? Opening up and reading it. Gathering with others to understand it and and discuss it and, and, and apply it in your life. Outwardly, here's our outward one. Are you willing to participate in a project that could help our whole city have the opportunity to worship in a place where God's word is explained. Are you willing to do that? That's what this project is all about. Planning a healthy church in every zip code so that not one person in any area of our city is not closely located near a church where they can come and hear the w- word of God, just simply explain to them and apply it in their lives second point of how do we pursue churches of healthy worship the first is god's word has to be explained the second thing we're going to see in this passage takes it to the next level so on verse 9 it says this and nehemiah who was the governor and ezra the priest and scribe and the levites who taught the people said to all the people this day is holy to the lord your god do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law then he said to them go your way." Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. I was doing some research. This is the first recorded carne asada since they came back from the exile. I'm just stating the facts. This is why you need to come to a church that clearly explains the word of God. You would not know that Sunday is a day for carne asadas. Now you know that. And do not be grieved, it says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now let me explain this real quick before I give you my second point. They were celebrating, it doesn't tell you this openly in this text, but if you know the The Old Testament law, you know that the first day of the seventh month was the beginning of the festival of trumpets and the festival of trumpets was a a celebration that the Jews were to celebrate and they hadn't celebrated it for many, many centuries. And it was to be a joyful rejoicing. It doesn't mean that you can't ever weep or grieve in God's presence. But that particular day was to be a day of great joy and celebration. And it involved these festivals and it involved the big parties that they would have and celebrating God's presence with them. And so the, the teachers were explaining this to them and, and they were calling them to obey. They're saying, stop this. You're responding improperly. Here's how God wants you to respond. Now go and celebrate like he's commanded you to celebrate. And here's my second point. Healthy worship takes place when God's word is obeyed. Healthy worship takes place when God's word is obeyed. Knowledge is not the ultimate purpose of this book, the Bible. Obedience is. Everywhere you see in the scriptures God talking about it, you see this connection. 2 Timothy 3 will come up here. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, for obedience. Not just so that you can be really smart about what the Bible says. A church that explains God's word, but does not call people to obey God's word is one generation from dying. Knowledge that doesn't result in obedience always, always leads to pride and a critical spirit. Let me say that again. Knowledge of the scriptures that stays at knowledge that does not lead to obedience always leads to pride and a critical spirit. Some of the most critical people that I know are some of the most knowledgeable people of the Bible. The problem is they rarely put into practice the very things they know. Because any person that begins to obey the things that the Bible calls them to will quickly be humbled to a point where they recognize how desperately they needed Jesus Christ to be a perfect sacrifice for them. This is why we emphasize, and even more so in these last few weeks, the things that we do, that we want to call you to a committed time of worship, to being involved in a small group, to serving and using your spiritual gifts, to giving of your resources to the church so we can minister to our community. It is no good for you to know all these things and not do them. That is not the church. It's something but it's not the church. We are called to be a people that don't just know this book, but we obey this book. A church that doesn't call and challenge people to obedience is a church that doesn't authentically worship God. And it is a church that will quickly be filled with pride, with self-righteousness, with hypocrisy, with ritualism, criticism, and deadness of spirit. You see, we can plant churches, we can start more services, we can begin more ministries, we can train more leaders, but if we aren't teaching people and helping them to obey the things that God teaches us in His Word, then we're doing absolutely nothing. So let me ask you these two questions as we reflect on this. Here's an inward application first one is this. I skipped some slides up there so I know. Can you sli- slide to the, the application point? Keep going. In, there you go. Thank you. Inwardly, here's a question I want you to ask yourself. In what area of your life have you begun to obey what you've learned recently? Kind of like the old Euretha uh, Franklin song, what have you done for me lately? God's saying. I'm going to ask, what have you learned recently? Can you think of in the last month or, or six months or year in your life where you learned something that was taught to you and you began practicing it, you began obeying it? Because just knowing it is honestly worse for you than not knowing it at all. It would be better that you not know and not do it than that you know and not do it. So think about that. Can you come up with something tangibly that you've put into practice recently? Second one is outwardly. Will you accept the challenge to reach our city by planting churches in each zip code that teach people to obey? Will you do that? Will you become a person that obeys. And when you be committed to a vision that gives other people the opportunity to do the same. We're going to sing a song now. We introduced it last week, a new song, a very simple song. But the heart of this song is this principle in the in the form of worship. It talks about the spirit of God being present with his people. And that's what we're singing about. But then it says a line like this, it says, the evidence, the evidence of the spirit of God is all around. What is that evidence? It's obedience. It's people whose marriages are about ready to break up because they're not obeying God's word, suddenly submitting to God's word and reconciling their marriage. It's families who are are riddled with drug addiction, sexual addictions, walking away from those things and submitting to God's plan for their sexuality and their purity and being restored. It's people who are consumed with stuff and worldly things and think everything that God's given them is for them, beginning to say, you know what, I'm simply a steward and this is God's stuff. God, I want to let go of this greed in my heart and start giving in a way that honors you and loves my city. That's the evidence that the spirit is present. Those are the things that I see week in and week out happening in this church. So as we sing this song, I pray it's a a worshipful response, a prayer both asking and and proclaiming what God is doing in this place. Father, that is our our prayer. Lord Jesus, we know you are a Savior, a Messiah who can do miracles. We've read about them, how you turned water into wine, how you calmed a raging storm, how you fed 5,000 with just a few fish and a few loaves, how you brought sight to those who were blind, how you healed those who were sick, how you brought the dead back to life. Lord, sometimes those are the miracles we crave when they were simply just pointing to the greatest miracle you transforming broken, rebellious, evil sinners into worshipers, changing hearts that are so selfish and so personally focused into people who for the first time realize our only joy, our only satisfaction will only and ever come when our lives are offered to Lord, miracles like two sinners joined in a covenant with one another and living together and staying together when oftentimes we want to tear each other's heads off. Lord, that's a miracle that broken people like us will love in our brokenness. Lord, we see that all around. being a God of miracles. Thank you for changing broken people like us into worshipers like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God's word is explained. God's word is obeyed. Two more things we're going to see in here quickly in this passage that are so important for a healthy church the passage continues in verse 13 and it says this it says on the second day of the heads of the fathers of the houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. This was called the Festival of Booths. The Feast of Trumpets started this off at the beginning of the month, and on the 15th of the month, they were to build these booths, and it was a reminder of when they wandered in the wilderness, and they weren't in permanent homes, and it was a celebration that reminded them of God's deliverance and gathering of them. So they were reading about this. The heads of the families gathered with the priests and the Levites and were learning these things, and then they were going out and teaching the people to go and gather the materials they needed See, it was a big carne. It was like a camping carne asada, right? They're in tents and booze, and they're eating all this good food. But notice what's happening here is it wasn't just one guy standing in the court telling everyone what to do. Ezra, Nehemiah, the priests, the scribes, gathered the heads of the household. They studied the word of God together, and they taught the people. My third or four, yeah, third point for you is simply this. Healthy worship takes place when God's people or leaders are trained. Healthy worship takes place when God's leaders are trained. You see, a healthy church is a reproducing church. If we don't reproduce and train others, then we become wrongly dependent on just a few people. You know, one of the greatest criticisms I get is when people come up, and and it's not, it doesn't happen as much anymore, and hardly at all anymore, like it did early on when we began training people and letting them have a chance to preach, and people come up, I wish you would have been up there preaching today. And honestly, that's the greatest criticism you could ever give me, because my goal is not to be the only one that you hear from. I rarely hear that. The greatest compliment you can give me is to say, man, Chad, these guys that you are training up, they're better than you are now. That's like the best compliment you get. It's happening more and more. Pretty soon you're not even going to know whether I'm here or not. But that's the point of this is not just there, but training small group leaders, training people to oversee ministry and do these things. If we don't reproduce and train others, then we are one generation away from dying as a church. That's the truth. That's why God wants a church to be training and equipping others. Here's a meditation for you to think about in regards to that truth. An inward one and an outward one. Are you growing into, no matter where you're at in your stage of of your faith, are you growing into or as a leader? And are you reproducing leaders by training them to do what you do? So that changes how we think of church. Many of us are still in that mindset. We come to church and someone does something for me or to me. God says, No, you come here to get trained and equipped so that you can go and reproduce what you're doing. That's why He gives you the Holy Spirit to do that. Is that happening in your life? Where is that happening? Are you taking steps to do that? Outwardly, here's an outward one that we can do as a church. Will you participate and contribute to a vision that will help train up spiritual leaders in our city? and for our city that's ultimately what we're asking you to be part of in this project an inward reflection and an outward one last point we see in this passage starts in verse 16 and goes to the end of the chapter watch what happens as all these three things take place verse 16 says so the people went out and brought them so this is what i love about this is they they obey when they heard the truth they went out and put it into practice and we're going to see what results when that happens And they made booze for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square, and at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Joshua to the son of the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. So they hadn't done this for many centuries and day by day from the first day to the last he read from the book of the law of god they kept the feast 7 days and on the 8th day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule you see there was very great rejoicing it said and that's my final point to you uh, in terms of a healthy church is a healthy church or healthy worship takes place when god's presence is celebrated when god's presence is celebrated The psalms, which are kind of a psalm book of worship, are filled with commands to be joyful or rejoice. Over a hundred times we are commanded to rejoice or be joyful in God's presence. And don't misunderstand me or misunderstand those texts. There are certainly appropriate and frequent times to mourn, to grieve, to weep, to be hurt In, in our worship. That's part of it as well. However, joy and rejoicing, is one of the most common characteristics of the person who is rightly connected to God. When you consider the God whom we worship, and you worship him truthfully and authentically, you would have to be dead to be bored and not joyful about him. You would literally have to be dead if you even give a moment of consideration of who God has revealed to be in this book, the only way we could not be joyful, the only way we could sit and just do nothing in his presence is if we were absolutely dead. Think of the things that you get excited about. Think of the things that you find joy in. And then ask yourself, Do those compare at all to our God? Maybe, possibly the greatest sin we can ever commit in our life is to act bored in God's presence. If the greatest act of obedience is worship, being totally enthralled and satisfied in him, then wouldn't the absolute worst sin be the opposite of that? Being bored in his presence. You see, we can add services, we can plant churches, we can build buildings, we can start all kinds of ministries. We can do all that stuff. But if we aren't helping people celebrate the very presence of God in their life, if we aren't helping people find a deep-seated joy that, that exceeds anything you can ever find in this world, then we've accomplished absolutely nothing. So let me leave you with these two reflections as we begin to prepare for the Lord's Supper today. An inward one. Is God more celebrated in your life than anything else? Pause there for just a moment. Maybe name a few things that you prepare more for, that you get more excited for, that you're willing to sacrifice for more than God. And it'll help you begin to see what we celebrate more than him. Does something else receive greater affection and celebration than God? And then outwardly, do you love God and the people of our city enough to offer your life to see others joyfully worship God? see this story we've been reading is about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as we know, risked his life and his comfort so that he could see a day like we're reading about today. I imagine what Nehemiah must have felt like at this service, going from mourning and weeping over the The destruction in his city, the brokenness of his people being lost and wandering and not worshiping the true God. To this day, when he watched his relatives, his friends, his neighbors joyfully celebrating the God who had redeemed them as a people many years before, it made it all worthwhile. Nehemiah had great comfort in the presence of the king. He lived in the throne room. He was the cupbearer. He had a a life that was set, and he risked it all to go pursue this vision. But you see, the story isn't ultimately about Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah's story points to an even greater Nehemiah. A Nehemiah who who didn't just risk his life, a Nehemiah who didn't just step out of the throne room to go help his people worship God, but a Nehemiah who gave his life. A Nehemiah who left the riches of heaven, riches far beyond anything Nehemiah could have ever imagined. Jesus left it all, and when he looked down and saw his people in disarray, unable to worship God, The father, because of their brokenness, he says, I'll go. And he didn't just risk his life. He didn't just lay down his life. When he faced opposition like Nehemiah did, he actually gave his life. He laid down his life. He allowed the opposition to put him to death so that they couldn't put you and I to death. You see, Jesus is the word of God and I can understand this book but he didn't just come down to give us the word of God he is the word become flesh he came and lived and obeyed every single principle this book talks about because he knew that you and I couldn't so he is the word he obeyed the word and offered himself as a substitute for Jesus, just like we saw here, trained 12 apostles to start the church. And in his death, he gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, so that you and I can be the church. And finally, no one in this world has embodied joyful, celebratory worship like Jesus. The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him, He endured the cross. He was so in love with the Father. He so celebrated the fact that he was going to be there with him, that he was willing to experience the most horrific loss this world could possibly throw at him because he knew it could not touch the joy that awaited him. So as we celebrate the Lord's table today, as you hold these elements in your hand, would you ponder the greater Nehemiah the one who took and made the greatest journey this earth has ever known to make it possible for you and me to have joy in his father's presence event of our faith we worship a savior who sacrificed his life wholly for us so the question is Is Jesus' life and death transformed you and me? The God who is willing to give his very best, to give everything when he walked this earth for you and me, has that so changed who we are? That when we consider our time, are we willing to give some of our time? to a God who gave every bit of his time for us? Are we willing to invest some of our talents, our spiritual gifts, for a God who invested every single bit of his for you and me? Are we willing to give some of our wealth for a God who gave all of his for us? Church, I believe God has called us to be a group of people at this time to take this challenge and take this next step. I just want you to leave today with a picture in your mind. Much like Nehemiah saw that day. What would it be like for you to be standing next to a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate who right now does not know God and is walking on a path of destruction in their life. But maybe when there's room for them and maybe when your life is changed because of this journey, they'll wonder, what's so different about you? Why are you happy? in the midst of struggles? Why do you have joy even when you're giving your life away? And you can introduce them to the same God that changed your life. Imagine that day when we worship not just in one location but in multiple locations. the same time. Imagine that day when we worship not just in one language, but in multiple languages so that every person in every neighborhood can be introduced to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. I believe we are here today for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for examples like Nehemiah who loved you supremely so that he would make a great sacrifice so that others could do the same. But Lord, we ultimately praise you for Jesus who is Nehemiah's inspiration was who Nehemiah was looking forward to coming because even a great man like Nehemiah needed a savior like your son. So Lord, let us be a people who learn from examples like Nehemiah but love the greater example Jesus Christ may he change us may he transform us and may he empower us to be a people who like him are willing to give their lives for others Lord I can't imagine that day when we see this come about I can't imagine the smile that will be on your face as you be see people all across this city worshiping you truly and authentically. We love you and we praise you and we ask all these things because of your son Jesus. and In his name we pray.